Alrighty, welcome back to The Ferment, everyone. Uh, we're here in Studio One, the family boardroom. I'm here with Catherine Brown. How are you, Catherine? I'm very good, Harry. How are you? Yeah, awesome, awesome. We've uh, had a couple of events again. We, we sort of mentioned last time when we were catching up with Kate Looney that we've had a, have had a few events and they, they keep rolling on at this time of the year. So uh, another Patricia event on uh, Friday night just gone in Brisbane and then a Noir event with uh, Tamar Ridge in Sydney that are both, uh, well, I think very successful. What were your thoughts on them? Yeah, it was really great to get up to Sydney and uh, do the trade event for Noir. So Noir is focusing on Tamar Ridge Pinot Noirs, but also showing off some of the Piri wines as well. So uh, just so nice to get out, talk about those brands, really see the trade, embrace them. Then I believe that Harry, you and Ben Hallett jumped on a plane and got down to Melbourne yesterday and we're talking everything Tassie down there as well. Yeah, absolutely. On about four hours sleep. I was just telling Catherine before we came on the, you know, getting up after four hours sleep, I wasn't too keen to grab the shaver out, but uh, everything went incredibly well and the, the wines look fantastic at the moment so yeah I think a, a little bit of a no-brainer for the team at South on the South Bank to do some Tassie stuff with us moving forward which is very exciting but we digress we're here for a vintage update with Tom Wallace and uh, we've got Tom dialing in on the phone how are you Tom? Yeah, Harry yeah I'm good thanks mate we caught up with Kate last week on uh, all things Victoria, but we haven't really had the chance to catch up with you in Tasmania. So, you know, we thought we'd have a look at Vintage 2022. And if you could, give us a bit of a rundown on how the season has been. So I guess from Budburst last year right through to picking this year. It's been a different vintage, I would say, totally. You know, it's a very interesting start. Uh, and I think that the whole of Tasmania has seen... Uh, regionality uh, has been come to the fore. So uh, it's really the tale of two vineyards. We've got the East Coast where it's just been cool. They've never had a summer. So budburst was cool, um, which has affected how many buds and how many grapes we've got on the vine. But it's just been a cool ripening period. And there's been some dampness and rain around that period. And I think we've seen across Australia the easterly or the La Nina easterly conditions have created pretty much havoc around the Queensland coast. Well, that's a little bit of what's affecting the East Coast, and that has impacted the amount of grapes that we're getting off the vine, unfortunately. Well, what it's done for Tamar Ridge or Cain Vineyard is probably had the warmest season that I've ever seen in 12 years. And it's been beautifully dry. We've had sort of average yield across the vineyard and incredible quality. So, yeah, it, it couldn't be more different. The coolest I've ever seen on the East Coast and the warmest in the Tamar. Amazing. Like that, that is just incredible, like a two-hour drive away and to have that, that sort of difference in climatic conditions is just incredible. Yeah, it makes it really difficult to talk about. <laughs> it's so different. <laughs> That's okay. Well, we've got Catherine here on the marketing side to, to spin up a story on that. <laughs> what I find so interesting, Tom, is that from my understanding, we always talk about the hazard sort of being in a bit of a, a rain shadow. You mentioned it was cold, but has it also been wet? It has been pretty wet, and I mean, I, I think that is very much correct. So normally we talk about the prevailing weather coming from the west. Well, the prevailing weather this season with La Nina has been coming from the east, and that means it's just the ocean. So it comes in off the ocean, and it sits on our vineyards, basically, and it doesn't move because the hills hold it there. So it's doing the opposite. So it doesn't happen very often. I think the worst case we saw was back in 2011. We haven't had the, the damage that we got, sort of got that season, but it's it's certainly been a tricky one. And then it hasn't really been so much rain that's damaged us. It's just so cold that just 
nothing is everything's behind you know so normally we start on the east coast probably a week even sometimes two weeks ahead of Kaina and it would be the opposite it would be two weeks behind and just for our Victorian listeners and and New South Wales and probably more importantly Queensland what is cold on the east coast of Tasmania because because you know if you if you come from northern Queensland you're probably thinking Tasmania is just freezing anyway so what was the temperature sort of maximums that was getting to over the summer it's usually you know getting into the mid 20s and it's it may have had a couple of days there but it's consistently been under 20 you know 15 to 17 degrees for the whole of summer yeah, so it just hasn't had the heat Whereas, you know, in the Tamer, we've been getting, I mean, we'd be 20 degrees now. And it's normally, you know, normally we get 12 degrees at this time of year. It's still beautiful summer. And, you know, so it's been a massive difference. And you've seen it across the whole state, to be honest. The Tamer has probably been an exception. Um, the Huon Valley have barely ever started. Uh, and the Derwents are saying they've barely started. Even the Coal River Valley has been cold. I'm hearing from a few people down there. So the Tamer has actually been the exception. So. Um, we feel pretty lucky. And this is why the company, I suppose, makes this decision to have vineyards in different spots so we don't get the same conditions and so that we can sort of make decisions to try and make sure we get the best results for our product. So just given that info around sort of the Hobart area, Tom, we, we were getting some Syrah from down that way and it's generally a fairly late ripener at the best of times down in Tassie. So how's that all going to pan out for that if we're getting that in again this year? Yeah, we are getting that in. That hasn't been too badly. That area, I went down there in March and it hadn't rained there since the 5th of January. So that's they're an incredible, you know, again, a different area. So absolutely no rain. So, no, but they're still two, two weeks, two weeks, three weeks off. But that's fairly standard <laughs> for the Syrah. <laughs> it usually comes in on that first week of May. Yeah, right. And so given this sort of regionality and so on, it's going to be, I guess, horses for courses but how do you think that this season playing out the way that it has will lead into the overall quality of the vintage there's some stunning wine truly stunning chardonnays stunning pinots uh, the riesling juices which have only just come in in the last couple of days look fantastic we switched around things so we've managed things a little bit differently to how we would so we've taken a lot more sparkling off the east coast because obviously it was a lot more difficult to get things right. So the sparkling that a lot of times we've been taking from Kaina, we've sort of switched over to the East Coast, and it was the perfect year to do it, to really push the Kaina stuff to get up to table rightness, and it's done a fantastic job with those Stardies and Pinots, with absolutely no disease, because it's just had the season of seasons, and then we've managed to take the hazards, a lot of the hazards for, for those sparkling products. And you'd be seeing great acidity in that hazards fruit for the sparkling? <laughs> yeah, we've seen some pretty amazing acids. <laughs> even even that made me a little bit amazed. Eye-watering. <laughs> 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 They're looking great, though. I was just tasting one of the Chardonnay ferments, which I must say was probably nine and a half Fome when it came in, and it's just beautifully floral, really pretty. Tom, when you say nine and a half Fome, what is normally your target Fome for that Chardonnay? Oh, it would be ten and a half, eleven. That's sort of just DC sparkling, yeah. And so, Tom, how many tonnes are in the winery so far and what are you expecting that the total might be for the for the year's intake? I think we've done about 1,220-odd, maybe a few more now. We've just 25 tonnes of reasoning over the, overnight. And I think probably we'll do about 1,900, 2,000 tonnes max. And so we're pretty well through it. Yeah, well over halfway now, which is great. 
And, and Tom, if you if you had to go by variety, can you give our listeners at the ferment a bit of an idea of, I guess, the the the, the vintage and what varieties come in first, through to what varieties come in last? Yeah, I suppose um, sparkling always comes in first, and that's made up of Pinot Noir and Chardonnay. Pinot Noir usually slightly ahead of Chardonnay; it's got a little less acid to sort of tame. And that would normally be off the East Coast, but this year's the exception, so it's definitely um, been Cayena. And then we normally get some Pinot Grigio after that, uh, and then we'll start seeing table Pinot Noir, table Chardonnay pretty much coming in at the same time. The last things to come in are the Riesling and the Sauvignon Blanc. And I suppose all the Riesling and Sauvignon Blanc is all still to come in from the East Coast, and we probably won't see any of that until next week at the earliest. Tom, you mentioned before that sort of looking at the coolness of the East Coast, this vintage is could be similar to, say, 2011, which was actually an amazing year for, for sparkling. Is that the case? Is this looking similar to 2011? And the Cayena Vineyard, what does this look similar to last year or another vintage that you recall? Yeah, I, I don't want to pretty much condone us to 2011 because 2011 was pretty average for table wine <laughs> uh, and certainly nothing like that. We haven't got the... 2011, there was a huge amount of rain, two big incidents of rain, and we haven't had that. Uh, we've had sort of drizzly, damp conditions, um, pretty low-volume stuff, but where it just continues to drizzle along and be really annoying. So I don't really want to relate things to too much 2011, <laughs> but the sparklings from 2011 were fantastic. And Taina... A very similar season to last year from a yielding perspective and the quality. I think this year we have targeted a lot more top-end Pinot Noir, as you know, for Tamer Ridge. So we've got those volumes in open fermenters, you know, so huge range. And we've got all those in the winery and they look fantastic. So we've got a much greater range to look at than 2021. And then we've just got a wealth of Chardonnay, like I almost want to change our name to the House of Chardonnay. Harry and I are just celebrating. Big Chardonnay fans here. Oh, I've never seen anything like it. I mean, it would be two to three times more than we've ever seen a barrel fermented Chardonnay in the winery, and it gets me very excited. (laughs) 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 I need to find somewhere to put it all, though. Just a slight hint for the board. We need to expand the barrel room to make room for all the Chardonnay. Okay, special note to Dean Carroll. (laughs) Keep this part in, Harry. Yeah. Tom, as mentioned, you've already brought in over half the, the scheduled tonnes. Uh, can you tell us a bit about the highlights that have come in? Definitely the Chardonnay uh, is a highlight, just getting that volume and looking at those blocks. A lot of it's obviously coming off Cayena, so we get to get that ripeness because we just felt that the hazards maybe wasn't quite going to get there. But fortunately, you know, it's been the season to do it. So, yeah, we've got some very exciting Chardonnay and a lot of that for sort of that resolution, Patricia sort of level. Tom, this is so exciting to hear about the volume and quality of Chardonnay coming in. Are you working with some new techniques or some different techniques in the winery with this variety? Uh, we're always looking at the fruit and sort of adjusting. Uh, last year we worked a lot on extraction from the press. So we played around with different extractions, sort of 500, 550, 650 almost. And this year we're sort of settled on about 600 litres per tonne, which is quite because it gives you slightly more solids in the ferment and that's going to give us hopefully more sort of possibility of funk or sulfide or that sort of character. We did play around, so we had some pressings from um, K47 which we lifted up to a sort of reso level and someone was supposed to put the cooling on the tank uh, to hold the juice. It might have been me. Um, <laughs> and 
that got to um, open one of the valves. So I was I was here quite early. It was still dark, and I was tasting a few of the juices, and I thought, oh, I'll just go have a look at those pressings that are sitting there. And they were fermenting away, and I thought, well, that's interesting. Some idiot didn't turn the cooling on. And then we uh, luckily we can move fairly quickly. So we've got that concrete egg that people may have seen if they've visited, which is a different style fermenter, sort of a hundred millimeter thick uh, concrete, and it looks like an egg. Surprise, surprise. Um, so we transferred the solid the pressing ferment directly into the egg into about half a dozen barrels, and it was already quite funky and sulfitic. And I, I think some people might find that a bit strange, but it's, they're kind of characters which are quite difficult to get when you want to get them. So when you sort of see them, you sort of got to try and make the most of it. So yeah, so that's really quite interesting to see how that turns out, that sort of, those little ferments there. Tom, it was really great at the Noir event the other night that we mentioned that we did in Sydney to be talking about some of the Pinot Noir and especially the research series, talking about some of the techniques such as carbonic maceration. Are you using some of those techniques again this year? We've got two carbonics on the go, one we've actually just pressed off. So last year, one of the highlights of the season, I suppose, was a 100% hand-picked carbonic. So that's four bins of hand-picked bins that we tip into the fermenter we wrap it in plastic wrap, we evacuate all the air out of it, uh, and then we get the ferment going. And so it ferments in the absence of air or oxygen, and that creates different pathways and different flavours. After about nine days, we made a note of exactly how that one was made. After about nine days, we took the cover off, we de-stemmed it to a fermenter, so it got rid of all the stalks, and it was incredibly dark, and it was rich, and had everything that we wanted. And it made a percentage of the reserve in 2021, uh, and the balance went into the research series. Well, we've done that twice now. We've done two of them. Uh, interesting, we've managed to do 100% carbonic with 777 and then the clone of Pinot. And then we did one with MB6 Pinot, but we're following that exact recipe. So we're doing nine days and then de-spring. And the first one has been pressed off just now and it looks fantastic. It's about to be run to barrel. The second one's going to be de-stemmed tomorrow. And so it's going to be really interesting to see the clonal impact on that and how that impacts the two ferments. We've also done a few other winemaking trials with the research series. Have you got some other things that you're playing around with in that space? Yeah, we've we've done another barrel ferment this year. I mean, we've got lots of small ones that we do every year. There was a barrel ferment is where we've dropped one of the um, the open fermenters at about four Bome with quite a lot of sugar still in it, and then we've sort of made it like Chardonnay. So it's sitting in here with the Chardis, uh, about to run dry, and that again creates some of that flint and sulfide. And just a bit of interest, which we've been using in the research series and across some of the wines as well to um, add another level of complexity. It's an amazing wine. And, and in fact, like probably of the Noir Dinner wines, you know, with those top-end sommeliers that are looking for a story to tell, the research, mm. it, it has that beautiful lifted red berry floral sort of perfume notes, but it's also got this slightly smoky element from the barrel ferment and the, the comments the other night on that particular wine were incredible. So, yeah, keep up the good work on that one. It's it's a, a terrific wine that gives us some fantastic stories to tell from a winemaking point of view for sure. We're probably in general this year, we've changed our winemaking process or pinot making process slightly. So we are trying to pressing a little bit earlier. So before they run dry, so we're just pressing them off. And then, and it's been a bit annoying for the people filling the barrels, but the, they're actually still fermenting, not nearly as, as early as the sort of four bome, but, you know, when there's still half a bome left. And that so should create 
a little bit of interest across some of those parcels this year as well. You, you mentioned about the, the quality of the sparkling fruit coming in. So just give us a bit of a feel for what you think might be the, the case for you know DC sparkling and Piri. Are there, is there anything that we should be really looking forward to with those wines? Yeah, I mean, DC sparkling is going to be a, a slightly interesting. It could be a chance that will dominate with Pinot Noir, whereas it's been a Chardonnay dominant product. And just with the vintage on the East Coast, there's a few blocks that we just felt couldn't be tabled. So we've pushed those. So it tested our winemaking up here to figure out how to get colour out of its devil's corner. Um, but I think we've managed that. So that'll be really interesting, that devil's corner sparkling. I don't think the general consumer will make much difference to them, but it's, it's an interesting point of grasp, a point of difference, how that, that might change it in the future. Piri is terrific this year. I think we've got, we've got good volumes. We managed to pick with quite a sort of range of um, Bome, so slightly riper and slightly lower, whereas quite often we sort of get them all at the same. But this year we've got quite a range of parcels across Pinot Noir and Chardonnay, those have actually all finished ferment. We're pretty much just about to inoculate them for malolactic fermentation. The quality is really high. Another wine that really wowed people at the Noir event was a new release that hasn't been released. So it was like a little sneak peek for the for the sommeliers at this particular event. And it was the Piri Late Disgorge 2011, which I must say is drinking incredibly well, even though the disgorging wasn't that long ago. It's, it's, it's bounced back so brilliantly. Will be released, KB, what was it, sort of May, June, something like that yeah. officially? Yeah. The interest in that was, was great. So, you know, with that... That particular product it's almost a one-off we don't really have follow-ups but have you got some thoughts of what you might do in this sort of experimental phase of Piri and, and sparklings and what could be the next new interesting sparkling wine coming through I think there's always potential for those late discourses sort of identifying uh, the 2000 that 2011 I think there's always fun things to be done with rosé or blanc de blanc you know I think there's certainly parcels that could in that, in that sort of game. And it could be good to get KB down and us to sort of pace through them once they're sort of down and see if there's anything that she sort of thinks what might work well from that sort of thing. But I think we've certainly got the quality there to make that happen. So, Tom, it's really exciting that we're now sort of working with a limited assemblage program within Piri, which uh, essentially gives you and the, the team down there in the winery the freedom to you know, pull out parcels from a vintage and to really look at potential of a special release, Blanc de Blanc or a rosé or uh, putting something away as a late disgorge. So it's really exciting about what we can do in that space. Yeah, I agree. I, actually, it makes me um, probably focus on it a little bit more and we might play around with some barrels as well. Once we start going through Malo, that'll be interesting. And, and for those that can hear, we've just got a timely lawnmower going past. <laughs> you, you, it's not like we can just click our fingers and magic the grass to look this good here at Miller. <laughs> we do need a lawnmower every now and then, so you bear with us on that one, Tom. <laughs> Tom, can you just tell us a little bit more about the 2011 Late Disgorge Piri and how we really came about putting this wine together? It's actually the Piri Vintage 2011, so which was released in 2018. Uh, so we had good volumes of it. It actually won the trophy at Hobart in 2018 for Best Sparkling. Uh, it probably could have won other things. That was just the first one I found. But I made the call, and I can't remember who it was, whether it was Amy or Erica who was in charge back then. But I sort of just made the suggestion, you know, there's a few other people doing it. So I thought, you know, why don't it would be great to have a late disgorge wine. And I thought this one would really develop well because it had such a acid structural backline. Yeah, and we managed to hide it from Dean for long enough. 
and now we've got this two images, 2011. So it, it really just was a little bit of an idea out of the blue that, that there would be something that we could get. So it's really exciting that the wines come together so well. And I have to thank you know Kate and the team up there for, for looking after it for so long and getting all that process done. It's going to be incredibly exciting to be able to have it at dinners and things. But yeah, it's an awesome uh, addition to the Puri lineup. And uh, it's been heading out there for a few reviews on the wine journalist circuit. And we saw a 97 from Ken Gargett last week. So to get that feedback from third parties is just amazing. And KV, just for our Ferment listeners, what will be the sort of recommended retail price? What what are we going to sit it at? Because uh, it's a pretty premium sort of offering that we're put, putting together. So a late disgorge wine is essentially an accountant's nightmare because we really had this wine on lees for, it must have been about four years on lees um, before the initial release and then 10 years total that this wine has been sitting on lees. So with that comes a price tag. We're looking at $145 per bottle for this wine. So big price tag, but really sitting up there with big champagne. I think we can only be proud to say that we're sitting next to some of the big champagne houses of the world with this wine. Yeah, absolutely. And it's not like it's nowhere near outside of the realms of what you know, some of the Australian sparkling wines with late disgorge properties have, they're sitting in these price points as well. So, you know, when you've got something that's this good and had this amount of time of and this level of complexity, why not uh, charge accordingly? I don't think we'll have any problem moving it uh, given the feedback from this dinner the other night. So, yeah, exciting wine coming through. Now, Tom, a fun thing about vintage is sometimes you get some shiny new toys to play with. What are you playing with down there this year? We did a couple of cool things. I don't know how cool it is, but we put some more concrete down um, <laughs> in, our, in our processing area and then put a big roof over where all the bins sit. And it is just made such a difference. To, you know, we can, we can put bins of fruit out, you know, outside underneath the roof instead of getting rained on. The guys can pro- tip the fruit for Pinot without the rain. A couple of times I've just stood out there watching it going, the guys just don't realise how awesome this is. You know, they're just used to it, but we haven't had it for so long. So it is I remember in my day. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. They're just so generous. Take it away. We got one other thing which is proving really, really cool. We got this new pump. And this pump, you can dial. It's got a digital screen and you can dial in how many litres you want to pump. So we use it for our props. So we transfer, say, we can just go 150 litres and it sends 150 litres. It's got a flow meter on it. We can fill barrels. Uh, and we've been using it all over the place. It's been a huge success. But, yeah, so, no, very excited about that. And as things start to come to a close, I understand you've still probably got another five weeks of vintage. What are you expecting to see over the next few weeks to come? Well, all the Devil's Corner Pinot is coming in in the next two, three days. We've got 200 tonnes of Devil's Corner Pinot coming in the next couple of days. It's all rolling in now. One of our big growers has got two trucks coming in today. So that's pretty exciting. So we're looking forward to that. We're pressing off some of the top estates. The last estates are coming in today. So they're all in the open fermenters already running to we're doing pressing off a couple of each day. So basket pressing and then running those to barrel the next day. So yeah, it's a busy little time. They've got Chardonnays finishing and then we'll soon start topping those out. Um, lots and lots of wild ferments, touch wood. We don't have any issues there. To be honest, actually, Kane is going to be finished by Saturday. So, yeah, they're, they're definitely keen to get it all ripped off. <laughs> <laughs>
Well, awesome, Tom. Brilliant catch-up. It's uh, fantastic to hear what's been going on in Tasmania and just to get the nuance of the differences between Kayena and the Hazards for the season, it's, it's quite incredible to hear firsthand. So thank you so much for this catch-up and uh, we're, we'll be really excited to, I guess, get in front of you again in the next uh, couple of weeks and see how the tail end of vintage is uh, panning out. That'll be great. We're, we're looking forward to it and um, looking forward to finishing up these wines. It's always been an exciting time and um, I think we've got some really special wines to show. How good was that, everyone? If you have any feedback for us at The Ferment, please send us an email, theferment at brownfwg.com.au. Also, don't forget to check out our Tasting Note podcast. Thanks for listening to The Ferment, everyone. Stay safe out there. Chase hard. Look out for each other.